Well, hey, um, I want to start a brand new series tonight called Matters of the Heart. And I left all my props over here, so let me grab my props real quick. Don't go anywhere, please. Don't go anywhere. So I was listening to a podcast, um, I guess it was about a month and a half ago, that a guy named, he was, he's like, um, I don't want to misquote him. Is it, is it working with you? Is it cooperating? But he was, um, he's, was a psychologist of source, Christian psychologist, and he was on a podcast talking to a guy that, and I don't want to give you the whole story because it's, it's pretty um, involved, but he talked about God dealing with his heart and how he was responding out of his heart to life. And I'm going to share quite a bit of, of, of the different study that this guy did. His name is Terry Wardle, written several books on this. But we, we go around life a lot looking in a mirror, and oftentimes we don't necessarily like what we see. And it's ironic, sometimes we don't like what we see physically. You know, you look at your complexion, you look at your weight, you look at your hairstyle or the lack thereof a hairstyle. And so you're looking at an outward appearance of you. But many times the mirror that we look in is looking deeper than the superficial. It's kind of interesting that we look a lot at a mirror and don't necessarily enjoy what we see, but we're also a selfie generation where we like posting a lot about us outwardly. And then there's a dichotomy there going on that we are, are oftentimes not fulfilled with ourselves, but we're promoting ourselves. And, and I'm going to show by the end of tonight, and I'm not going to go very long, but it's, it's ironic that we deal with that. And it's matters of the heart. There's something going on within our heart that produces an outward reaction when there's something that needs to be dealt with on the inside. And I'm going to go at least two or three weeks on this, so forgive me if I try to cram a lot into one one session, but take a look at our foundation scripture. Out of the passion, it says, so above all, guard the affections of your heart. I love that. For they affect all that you are without taking too much time. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being. Why? For from there flows a wellspring of life. So when we're talking about matters of the heart, that the condition of my heart is what's going to flow out of it. Your first feeling is this, that your heart is the factory of your life. That what's going on in your heart, what's going on outwardly, like it said in Proverbs, it's the wellspring, the source of, of water, the source of life in our lives. That what you produce in your heart guides the condition of your life. That whatever's being manufactured on the inside of my heart is really determining what's going on in my life. That you are the overseer of the circumstances of your heart. I'm going to go somewhere tonight real quickly, but we are the overseer. That's why Proverbs said, guard your heart. That keep mind, be mindful of it, condition it, oversee it, because out of it flows the issues of life. And I'm I meant to put verse 6 in Jeremiah, I mean verse 4, but uh, it says, the, Lord of the, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and said to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew and approved of you. Let me, let me without going off on, on, a, on a tangent, is that the first words of that, before I formed you in the womb, should answer a lot of social, social situation questions. 
I don't want to say anymore, all right? I should, but I don't want to. I knew you, and I approved of you. That this is what God is saying to Jeremiah. As my chosen instrument, and before you were born, I separated and set you apart, consecrating you, and I appointed you, and he's speaking to Jeremiah at this point, as a prophet to the nations. That here's the, here's the truth, that we don't face failure of competency. That Jeremiah was receiving a word from the Lord, and, and another way you can say competency, we don't face a failure of ability. There are certain things that you have ability to do. Taylor and I uh, work out together, and there's many times that we'll change on, exchange on a machine, and I have to do a different weight than him. Sometimes I can lift more than him, but there's sometimes that I can't lift as much as he does. So my ability determines how much I can push against. And we often think that life is full of what I'm able to produce. I'm jumping ahead a little bit. That what my abilities are. Another part of that is what I'm aware of, what my inabilities are. That we face, we don't face a failure of competency, we face a failure of identity. And that's what the Lord was telling, telling Jeremiah. He said, I knew you in your womb. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. He, he was saying, Jeremiah, I'm not looking at what you're able to do. I'm looking at who I made you. I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the matters of your heart. That if we knew who we are, this changes everything. That if we deal, and I pre preached on identity for I, on 20 years, maybe, maybe so. But what I'm about to show you, I've never taught what I'm about to show you, and it changes everything. Not just that we have an awareness or a head knowledge or a, a preaching ability of our identity. It's, it's something found where we reach inside and we find out who we are. I'm going, look at your neighbor and say, he's going somewhere with this. That if there's ever a war for our soul, the war is against our identity. Now, it doesn't seem that way. It seems like it's an outward war. It seems like it's an outward struggle. It seems like it's pressure and circumstances and stuff that weighs on it, but that's not, that's not the source. The source of the war is a war against our identity. Have you ever heard of people that were, were going to go find themselves? Uh, you see this in multiple ways. We've had, you know, sometimes kids that grew up in church and, and, and they, 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 when they got into their, their young adult years, they're going to they're go find themselves. They're going to go find out what, what really life is about, what really everything is about, and they discount everything that happened with God. People my age, I'm 47, they, 47, that kind of area goes through a midlife crisis where they get a fast car and they think, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> where they, you know, get a Corvette. Or they leave their wife for a, for a younger version. And so all of those things are outward circumstances that are come from, or the root is from an inward, an inward crisis, an inward war, an inward deficiency of identity. And we all kind of deal with this to, in, a, in a way, but I want to I show you... Um, where the Lord takes us to that, that very few realize that the struggle is against our identity. 
the matters of the heart. We can go back to, and well, I was treated this way as a child. Or we can go back to, I was treated, I was um, rejected by people. Or we can go to, that I was betrayed by someone. Or we can go to, I've never felt adequate. I've I've never felt like I measured up. And those may all be true, but those aren't the root of what happens matters of the heart. That the root is the attack on our identity. That those circumstances came in to wage a war on who you are. And everything else is an outward expression of that reality of not knowing what our identity is. That every hang-up is linked to a warped identity. I don't have time to go into it, but think about the things that people deal with. That, that people deal with, I deal with, that you deal with insecurity you deal with thinking, I don't measure up. You deal with, um, and let me go a step further, that people will deal with addiction, people that will deal with, with rage, that will deal with anger, that they'll deal with um, pornography, that they'll deal with drug addiction. I mean, you can make a list that goes on and on, that all of those things aren't the problem. They're, they're the response to the war on identity, to the attack on identity. On who you are. And everything that, everything that happens comes from the root of a warped identity. And let me show you what happened with a, uh, a lady uh, named wife of Zebedee. And she had two sons, James and John. Or this calls it Jacob and John. So the wife of Zebedee approached Jesus with her sons, Jacob and John, James and John. She knelt before Jesus and asked him for a favor. She sa- he said to her, what is it that you want? And this mother answered, make a decree that these my sons will rule with you in your kingdom, one sitting on your right hand, one on your left. And there really wasn't anything wrong with this woman asking for the position of her sons when it came to Jesus, but there's something deeper going on. And what's deeper going on is that the, the wife of Zebedee, the mother of Jacob and John, James and John, the she thought that the position or the performance would create the success. That if her sons were on Jesus's, I mean, think about it. I'm on Jesus's right hand. You're on Jesus's left hand. There ain't no way this can fail. And many times in life, we think that if we get to that place, then, then there's really not any way to fail when we achieve that place your next fill-in, that we think life's fulfillment is through performance and or achievement. That that if I get to a place of, of producing good grades or being in top 10 or doing well in a job or having a successful big ministry, we're also dealing with achievement. If I'm known for being famous, if, I'm, if I have notoriety, then when, when I reach that place, let me, let me take it because sometimes that's just broad and, and speculative. Let's take it to a deeper place. Everybody in this room, starting and including me, deal with things that you think, if I get to that place, things will be better and different. And, and it's a trap. It's, it's a trap, it's, it's a war and an assault on our identity. Let me, let me make this argument real quick before I go to the next one. What happens if you don't get to that place? What happens if you don't get that place, that position in your ranking in your school? 
What happens if you don't get accepted to that school? What happens if you don't get that job? What happens if you don't marry that person? What happens if you don't have that size ministry? What happens if your business doesn't turn out to be a million dollars? What happens if? And the reality has to be as a believer with matters of the heart is that if, if the bottom falls out, if I fail in every possible way outwardly possible, that my identity can still be intact because it is not tied to performance and achievement. And can I just let you know, because I'm speaking in broad terms right now, but the podcast that I was listening to, the, guy, the two guys in the podcast were, were um, talking about business leaders and ministry leaders who were worn out because of performance and achievement. And you, and you may be at a state where you're maybe not as in tune to that, but how many of you that know the high producers in your school many times are worn to a frazzle on any given day? Those that might be in, in, the, in the, the business world, that those high-achieving people, at the end of the day, they are worn out trying to maintain and sustain success. And if you come to my world, even in the school world, I, I hope, hopefully he's not watching, but I received a text from my boss, my pa- my, not my pastor, my principal, about scores just the other day. So much so that he gave me the number. <laughs> and I looked at my phone and I looked at that number and his response was, we've got to do something. And I immediately went to my identity being attacked because of, and he didn't mean this, I know the man, he's, that's not his heart, but the way I interpreted it, the way that I responded to that text, the way that I put myself in that place of my value coming from performance and achievement was directly to, tied to really something that I don't have a whole lot of control over how people perform. So it tends to be a trap, where, and social media kind of takes it to a higher level. Please don't raise your hand, but how many of you have ever looked at somebody on social media? And this is the new trend of fitness, where people, and bless people's hearts, I mean, you know, I, I got to eat more than a piece of broccoli every other day. <laughs> and everybody's like, we know. <laughs> but you can get to a place where you see people's, even people that are fit, that aren't even happy with how they look because they're, they've compared themselves to somebody that is more fit. Or people that are in a relationship and, and you know, they, they took a date and they went to Whataburger and somebody else took a date and they went to Riata or they went to Fago de Chao and then you're comparing like, well, that was much better date. Their date's better looking, more fit, nicer, whatever. You can get to a place where you are constantly pinning yourself against what other people are and what they have and what they do and how it relates to you. Let's keep going. That we get caught in the trap of performance addiction. That what happens if my grades are not there? What happens if I can't pass a test? We have teachers right now that are taking test, uh, certification tests. And in my department, three of them have all failed a certain test. Now, they're certified math, but it's another form of certification. And they are just like, what am I going to do? 
And what, what happened, it's not just that I can't pass that test or it's a struggle for me to pass that test, but the, the, the deal is that I'm looking at myself as somebody that's a teacher, somebody that's leading students, and I don't feel like I'm adequate because I can't pass a certification test. What happens when you get that test back and it's not the grade that you thought it was supposed to be or should have been? And then you... Now, this isn't something like, let's just not study. The Lord is our identity. No, that's not the purpose. But you see how much of our lives are ruled by performance and achievement. I noticed, uh, can can I tell you about my world real quick? I follow a lot of ministries, and then, and in ministries, a lot of times, New and upcoming ministries get a lot of publicity, and they create a lot of publicity. And let me just give you this example. Recently, there have been a couple of churches, in, in, not in our area, but the Fort Worth area, in our area, basically. But new and upcoming, and so, you know, when they go to two services, man, it is social media hype. God's moving, we're going to two services, the Lord's moving. And my question always is this. I have two questions. One, what do you say to the church that isn't going to two services? God's not moving there. You see the trap? And then the second thing is that you went for two or three Sundays and then in in a new facility or a new place or a new startup, and now you have all these people that you're having to go to two services and three services. My question is, where did these people come from? (laughs) They came from other churches. They're not all new believers. I hope a lot of them are. So you, and, and we can see that where there's influx. Can I use this example? I hope I'm not being offensive. But you, you have these people coming in from other churches that other churches are losing, and you're calling it a move of God. And you got your aerial shots of the worship. It's always the worship. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm going to smile. Maybe that'll make it. (laughs) It's always the aerial shots of the worship and people in the altar and people getting baptized. And I am all for that. Man, that is cool. But what about the church that doesn't have any baptisms? What do we say to them? What about the church that doesn't have, I'm going to pick on us for the, the band we have up here. A lot of student ministries, young adult ministries would chop off their Left pinky toe to have what we, what we have in, in worship. But wh- who am I to say we had these three leaders on the stage this evening and this is a move of God? And some youth pastor out there that's struggling to have some 16-year-old kid that's half the time he's not at church strum a guitar and they have worship. Who is to say that's not a move of God? You see where we, the trap And you see that that youth pastor that has some kids and he's praying to God that that little 16-year-old shows up with his acoustic and that little 16-year-old forgets he's working at Brahms or whatever. And then that, that youth pastor has to make up for... Can you see the assault on his identity? This is real. And that, that, that youth pastor, am I wondering, am I called to this? And, and how, what do I say to that guy? And we can pull up Instagram and see some church that just started up three months ago 
that has a bazillion, a bazillion young people at it and a stage full of musicians and singers and ready for recording and lights and fog and everything. What am I to say to that, that youth pastor? Am I supposed to tell him, no, you don't have a move of God yet, but over here where they're going to two services, they've got a move of God. It's a trap. It's an assault. And I'm using a specific example. Hopefully it will relate across. It's an assault on our identity. These matters of the heart that aren't meant to weigh this kind of stuff. Let's keep going. That our unresolved past will catch up with us. I found this interesting. Um, I was watching an old video. I mean, it must have been 10 years old. And I, I referenced it to Taylor. I said, dude, look at this video. 10 years old. And it was a panel. Do y'all mind if I talk about my world for a second? Because I, I can't relate to much more than that. Hopefully it's cross-curricular. Cross and it was a panel of like six young up-and-coming pastors on this stage. And I flicked it on. I was watching something else on YouTube, something Allie had sent me, Taylor, whatever. And then I saw it over in the, you know, the, the trap bar. <laughs> Watch these next. And you're like, you know, an hour and a half later, if you keep on clicking. <laughs> so I clicked on it because I saw a guy that I listened to one of his podcasts that I like real well. And he was on it. And of course, he, you know, 10 years, way, way younger. And on this platform, on this kind of panel thing, was six up-and-coming of that time preachers. I mean, they're on the cover of magazines. They're in the conferences. I mean, and I looked, and, and I, I think I text Taylor. I said, look at this. Of the six, three had been asked to leave their ministries for various reasons. Now, if you're looking at the video right there, you're thinking these are the movers and the shakers. These are the moves of God. And I, and I don't discount the ministry and God gave them. But you're looking at that. You're thinking, yeah, these are, these are the hot ones. And then over the course of time, three of those six are either no longer in ministry at their church or no longer in ministry, period, or going through re recovery or whatever. And I'm, I mean, I've, but for the grace of God, let me just say that. But for the grace of God. But the point is, at one time, we would have said that person is a move of God. But we can't say that now. Does that mean that that person is, is discounted? Does that mean that person? No, but we, do you see how the, the flux of the identity is wrapped to the performance and the achievement? Now let's make it personal. How much of my life is connected to my performance in my achievement. Because the reality is this, that every single one of us have to walk through life. And I know none of y'all have this at your house, but I have, the, I have this at my house, this thing right here. And you know what it is? It's a laundry basket. I know this is deep. <laughs> this is a laundry basket. And do you know what I put in this laundry basket? I put in it laundry. But here's the deal. I, it, it doesn't just, I just don't... Um, you know, carry around clean laundry everywhere. My laundry is always clean. Can I, can I let you in on a secret that I sometimes have to put dirty laundry in here? It's deep, isn't it? 
But, but you know what? It's okay that I don't always have perfect laundry. I don't, I, I'm not Mary Poppins and my clothes hang themselves and, <laughs> and put themselves away. That Tonight when I get home, that these are going to go in the laundry. And, the, and the, re, the reality of identity is that everybody is trying to live a purposeful life, but they can't get over that we all have dirty laundry. And, and here's the deal with us is like, my dirty laundry is the worst. Now, no, I'm just kidding. No, don't take that. I bet it is. No, but we think that my dirty laundry has got to be the worst dirty laundry. And do you see how all of that works against who we are? Can I go quick? It, that it won't matter how famous, successful, or notorious we achieve. That's not worded right. That it won't matter. That, what, that there's a sinkhole in our hearts that will say, I am not enough. It's funny that the people that think the least of themselves often carry themselves as if they're the greatest. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? That... My insecurities, my insecurities will often cause me to overcompensate for my life. They, they say this, I know we're not going to get to tonight. Melinda, I know you're going to throw stuff at me for not getting all the fill-ins. But they say... That many preachers, hopefully I don't, you know, hopefully I'm not a sin-thumping dude, but many preachers who preach about the same sin over and over and over again are often guilty of that sin. And I'm not, this is not an expose of, but do you see how the enemy can get you to not know your identity, then all you ever deal with is trying to clean your dirty laundry in life. Monkey man, do you mind coming down? We end up finding out that nothing is ever enough. That we get to, we get to a place where now, can I read, let me this quote, quote by uh, J.D. Rockefeller, who was one of the, at, at the beginning of the, the 20th century, one of the richest men in the world. He was the richest American. And they asked him, they said, how much money is enough? I mean, you're talking to the guy that had the most money of anybody in the United States. And he, made, he said, how much is enough? And he said, a little bit more. And that's the trap. Of, of not dealing with matters of the heart because it, it doesn't matter what we have or the place we get. Can, can I say this? I, Taylor's got me on this 
workout and diet plan right now. Hate, I hate him. But you know what my goal is? My, my goal is to lose some weight. And I've got a, I've got a number in mind. But you know, what, you know what I have to constantly tell Jonathan? That when you get to that number, Jonathan, that does, that's not going to make you a little bit happier. You're going to still have to deal with the same issues that you deal with at the current weight. Because I can't, I can't tie nothing about being losing weight. on. No, that's not the issue. But I can't tie the fulfillment that I'm designed to have by an outward expectation. And that's the trap. The trap ends up being that, Jonathan, if, if I get there, you'll have to remind me where I stop because I'm done. That if I get there, then all the pieces fit together and all of a sudden the, the laundry is clean and folded and the heart is content and the angels surround and joy is abundant and it, it's just it's, it's, it's a lie it's, it's a, if, I, if I can't if I can't find contentment, stay with me a couple more seconds. If I can't find contentment and I can't find wholeness and I can't find joy and I can't find peace and I can't find just a being that I'm enough right where I'm at, then it won't matter where I go or what I do or what I end up. I won't find it there. What will happen? It'll never be enough. You weren't designed to live that way. Next week, I'm going to show you. Uh, I'm going to show you some scripture. We ran out of time. It's it's in your notes, but don't read. Well, you can read it if you want. Out of Psalms, we're gonna, we're going to take it a piece at a time. It's going to be so much fun. But where you get to that place. So next week is the how to. So you're like, if I left, if I stirred you up, next week's the how to. So you got to be a part of that. But we get to a place where we find out. I'm enough. I'm fulfilled. I'm okay. I don't have to measure up. He's enough. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that you are our identity, that you're our strength, that you're our hope, that you're our constant companion, God, that everything that we need is starts and ends in you. And so, Lord, I ask you just to minister to our hearts over the next week that we would enjoy all that you have for us, that every time the lie tries to come, by, come up, that I, that I have to perform, that I have to achieve, that I have to do better, that I have to be different, that I have to be thinner, that I have to be stronger, whatever it is, that whenever those thoughts come up, that the Holy Spirit would rise up in truth and minister the truth of your, of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.